0: is doing still. So, if you have your Bible, would you open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20? For the next few weeks, uh, the next three weeks in particular, we're, we're trying to do this. We're trying to recenter the life of our church for a couple weeks just on what is happening in Easter. What is happening in Easter? And so, um, uh, traditionally... Palm Sunday is a Sunday of rejoicing, which is next week. And it's a Sunday where we rejoice that the king has arrived, but there's this thing that has struck me about Palm Sunday. It's that there are on Sunday many rejoicing that Jesus has come and on Friday there are many saying crucify him. There's a significant turn that happens in that moment and it's 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 kind of bothered me as I've been thinking about this season. What do we do with that turn and why does that turn exist and are there those of us in the room who would make that turn from Sunday to Friday where we are celebrating, hey, the king has arrived, victory is here and then on Friday, we're saying, no, kill him, get rid of him. We don't want him as our king. It's a fascinating turn. It's one that, if I'm honest, has haunted me and I think there's a answer to why that turn exists here in First Samuel 20. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading First Samuel 20. We'll read verses 16 to 23, then we'll jump down to verse 30 through 34, and then we'll finish at verse 42. We'll be teaching the whole passage of First Samuel 20 this morning, but it's 42 verses long, and so I wanted to get some of the meat out and then reflect on the passage. So First Samuel 20. Starting in verse 16. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. Jump down to verse 30 for me. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die." Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Then we'll finish in verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. This is the word of the Lord. God. God, as we come before your word today, it is our desire that we would know you That we would not leave this place saying that was a good talk, but we would leave this place saying, Lord. (laughs) That we would leave this place not inspired to great philanthropic action, but that we would leave this place inspired to worship, which will flow out into every area of our life. Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place thinking that we could take or leave your word, but that we would feel as if this is the very word of life, God's word. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place thinking if I can just do better, then I'll make it, but that we would leave this place feeling as if you have done a great thing for us and so now we will walk out in the reality of that. God, help our time together. I pray that this would be a season of our church life where we would recognize what it is that you've done for us. We would recognize what it is you're inviting us into and that we would not turn away, but that we would turn towards you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I'm at a a season in my life right now um, that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, And the season that I'm in is where saying yes to one thing often means saying no to something else. Saying yes to one thing often means saying no to something else. So here's some examples of this. Saying yes to investing time in a specific person means saying no to investing time in someone else. Saying yes to my family often means saying no to various opportunities that have been offered to me. Or saying yes to hanging out with my friends typically means saying no to catching up on work. I'm better at saying yes to catching up on work than spending time with my friends, though, to my own shame. Maybe you're in here today and you're a college student and to say yes to the fun thing that you're wanting to do this weekend means sacrificing sleep to catch up on studying. Or maybe you're here and you're saying yes to the opportunity for career advancement. And in your career, uh, advancing in your career means saying no to your kids during just a very formative year of their life. Or maybe you're saying yes to one thing you really want means saying no to other desires as well. This complex bartering system that can easily become our lives is asking us a very important question. It's essentially asking us, what are you willing to sacrifice for? What are you willing to sacrifice for? Every decision that you make and every decision that I make comes at a cost. If you're wise, you might spend time thinking to yourself, okay, and asking questions like, what do I need to prioritize in my schedule? Or what are the non-negotiables in my life? Or who are the people that need me to be the most present? And in all of those questions, what you're really asking yourself is, what am I willing to give up everything for? What am I willing to give up everything for? The way we answer that question is directly related to our identity. In this story that we're in, in 1 Samuel, it's it's a fascinating story, it's a fascinating book. Obviously, we haven't been preaching through First Samuel, so you might be wondering who Samuel is and who David is and who Saul is and who Jonathan is. Well, the story of 1st Samuel, it's a story of God's people, but more specifically, it's a story of God's people rejecting God as their king. They have looked around at the nations and they've seen the success of the nations and they've seen the people in other nations get to live and they've said, I want that for my life. And I can't have that if God is my king. Give me a king that lets me do that. And so the king, choo- the king uh, arises from the people and God gives his people a king of their own choosing. And it's no surprise to us that the king that the people have chosen is a king that also rejects God. God. We have a people that rejects God and now they've chosen a king that rejects God. And the message of 1 Samuel is that even though God's people have rejected him and even though God's king, or, uh, the people's king have rejected God, God is going to bring a king who will righteously rule amidst his people and that king will do so through the word of the Lord. And in this story, we're starting to see these characters at play. We see Saul, who is the rejected king. It's a story here of a rejected king, but it's also a story of an anointed king. Saul, the rejected king, he was the king who looked the part the king the people wanted, the king that satisfied their desires. In fact, the people looked at Saul, they saw how impressive he was from the outside and they said, we'd be willing to sacrifice our commitment to God because we want this guy as our king. We'd rather have him than God. So they chose this man and and they said, we would say that our willingness to sacrifice starts here. We'll sacrifice God for this king. What are we willing to give up everything for? Our desires. That's how this story in First Samuel goes. You see this people willing to give up their commitment to God, willing to sacrifice his word for a king that meets their desires. And this king, Saul, he's the king who decides throughout his life that he knows what is best. He's the king that decides throughout his life that he is worthy of worship. Just a few chapters before, he actually wins uh, a battle and sets up a monument to himself because he thinks he brought the victory. And at the same time in that story, as he is celebrating his own accomplishments, God is coming to bring a word of judgment upon him for disobedience to God's word. It's fascinating. He's a king that has answered the question, what am I willing to give up everything for? And his answer to that is myself and my kingdom. And then he is rejected by God. Because he has rejected God. He's chosen himself over God's kingdom. And it will lead throughout this story to his inevitable downfall. There's another king in this story, it's David, he's the anointed king. Now he's not king yet in this story, but it's becoming clear that he is rising to power. David is rising to power, he's the anointed king who actually doesn't look the part. In fact, David's own dad at the moment when he is given, uh, he's been told he's going to be king, his dad's like, I don't, I don't think it's David though, like it's probably one of his other brothers, probably not David. His dad doesn't think he's kingly in any way. He's not the guy who you look at and at first glance you think we should follow him into battle. Yet he's the king who decides throughout his life, although imperfectly, that God knows what is best and God is worthy of worship and he deeply loves God's word and he desires to walk leading the people as God would lead them. He's a king that has answered the question, what am I willing to give up everything for? And he's answered it with God and his people and his kingdom. I will give up everything for that. And God has chosen him. He's the anointed king. At the beginning of our story, we have this Significant contrast between these two kings. We have David who makes a covenant with Jonathan, and we have Saul who attempts to kill Jonathan. It's quite a striking scene. But it's a striking scene for more reasons than those. You see, there's a tension that's building. We're not super familiar with it because this is our first time in this book together, but Saul has been rejected. And in place of Saul, David has been anointed as the future king. That's a little bit problematic for another character in our story today. whose name is Jonathan. And if we had been reading through the book, we'd be seeing that Jonathan is actually rising to prominence. So there's this rise happening in the book. Jonathan growing in success and in victories and in favor with the people, and David growing in success and in victories and in favor with the people. And David is God's anointed king, he's been chosen by God, but Jonathan is the heir apparent. When his dad dies, he's supposed to be the king. And from infancy, he's been raised with the mentality, I'm next on the throne. He's been invited into war councils. He's been given leadership training. He's trained to win and have great success on behalf of the people. He has been groomed to be the king. So how will Jonathan answer the question, what am I willing to give up everything for? Will he answer the question the way his father answers it? Will he answer the question with myself and my kingdom? Or will he answer the question the way David answers it? I'm willing to give up everything for God and his people and his kingdom. It's a question that's behind the surface of this text. The tension has been building and then we see this crossover In the first 23 verses of this chapter, Jonathan has a conversation with David. In the next 10 verses, he has a conversation with his father. And in the final six verses, he has another conversation with David. Smack dab in the middle is a challenge to his relationship with the anointed king. We read about it this morning. For as long as the son of Jesse, that's David, lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Those are the words posed to Jonathan. The challenge behind the scenes is that he has been groomed to be the king, to be in charge, and here is this man who he has just made a covenant with, who has been anointed to be the king. Jonathan makes this covenant with David. It's a promise, but with severe consequences. This is biblical language, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, When you break covenant, it is a severe issue. This is a severe issue. We see this in this text. It's, It's a covenant that implies a deep commitment to the person in front of you. They are promises and commitments that come with strings attached. We see this in our text. There's blessings for keeping the covenant, curses for breaking it. Jonathan and David, they they covenant with one another and the covenant that they make is, I will protect you and you will protect me. (laughs) I will protect you and you will protect me. Uh, Verse 15 is really helpful here. We didn't read it this morning, but I'm gonna pull it into our uh, context today. This is Jonathan speaking to David after they've made the first covenant pact. It's, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan's saying to David, I'll keep you safe from my father's wrath. Show me your steadfast love and my house forever. And if I break this covenant, if I break it, May the harm that my father intends for you fall upon me. There's there's blessings, if I keep this, show your kindness to my family forever. There's curses, if I break this, may what is coming for you from my dad fall upon me. May I suffer the wrath. It's commitment and promise, but with skin in the game. Here, Jonathan is saying, I'm willing to sacrifice everything for God and for his king. In the very beginning of the story, I'm willing to sacrifice everything for God and his king. What's really interesting to me about this story is at this point in time as Jonathan makes this covenant, it's an easy covenant to make. Let me explain what I mean by that. Chapter 20, verse two says this. And Jonathan said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. The very beginning of this story, Jonathan is certainly committed to David, but he's committed because he doesn't think there's a threat. He does not think that his father will come and kill David. In fact, he tells him in the very beginning, no, he won't do anything about this. He would have told me if he was trying to kill you. What he doesn't know yet is that devotion to God's anointed king is costly. Devotion to God's anointed king is going to cost him something. In verse 2, he thinks his dad is over the whole trying to kill things uh, kill things with David. And yet right off the bat we're seeing that it's certainly not easy to be associated with David. It's certainly not costing him much though. It's not costing him much. As the story continues, we see that the tension is growing. It's growing between David and the anointed king and, and Saul and the rejected king. As the rejected king. See, Saul has already tried to kill David before, but those attempts were unsuccessful. And now Jonathan is put into position where if he wants to protect David, he has to sacrifice his own claim to the throne. He has to deny his father and even himself And make a covenant with David, the Lord's anointed. And while this covenant at first is incredibly beautiful, it's somewhat shallow because Jonathan believes that it won't cost him much. He truly believes his father's over his jealousy and anger at David. He truly believes that his father won't do anything to David. And at this point, the covenant seems fairly easy to keep. I'm gonna go to dinner with my dad. He's not gonna be angry that you're not there. He's not trying to kill you. And then I'll come back and you'll be able to come back to dinner with me. It'll be awesome. That's Jonathan's perspective so far. But he makes a covenant promise with David anyway. But if my dad does try to kill you, I'll take your side. Which means, if my dad does try to kill you, I'll forfeit my throne. I'll give it up. Jonathan goes to sit down at dinner with his dad and after making a covenant with David, he's gotta be asking the question, am I willing to give up everything for David? Like, man, this is a really nice meal that we're at. Like, this is my house, this is my father. And then Jonathan is, is challenged in his covenant relationship with David. Saul's striking statement to Jonathan in verse 31, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. If you devote yourself to this man, it will cost you everything. Everything you've worked for your entire life, everything you've been promised your entire life, it will cost you all of it. He's pulling on Jonathan's identity. The identity of a son of the king with the promise of a throne. And he's faced with this question. Will he see himself as worthy of glory or will he give up everything to make a covenant with the Lord's anointed? What he's learning in this moment is devotion to God's king will come at great cost to himself. He will have to give up everything. And he does. The story goes that he defies the rejected king. He defies any desire he might have for the throne and he chooses to align himself with David the anointed king on the run, and he gives up everything for him. He steps off of his throne, says, it's yours. I forfeit it. See, what we're seeing so far is that devotion to God's king is costly. Devotion to God's anointed king is costly, but it is worth it. It is worth it. In chapter 19, we we don't know this because we haven't been through the book, but let me help us with some context. Saul actually makes a covenant with Jonathan. It's a fascinating thing that happens. He promises Jonathan something. He says, I will not kill David. And I will stop attempting to kill David. He promises him that he's no longer going to do this and here in this chapter he reveals himself to be a covenant breaker as he is attempting to kill david and jonathan is witnessing this firsthand the promise of a kingdom from his own father the covenant that was made to him will only lead to death and destruction And then there's this repeated phrase in our chapter today, in the first conversation with David, in the last conversation with David, and it says, the Lord will be between you and me forever. If we were to follow the story along, David actually does go on to become king. Unfortunately, Jonathan dies in battle, but Jonathan has a son. And his son is a crippled son. And in that day and age, if you were the son of the previous heir to the throne and you were crippled, it was a pretty easy argument to say we should take that guy out. Like it didn't take much to say we should get rid of him. David would have had social pressure from all around saying we should get rid of Jonathan's son, the cripple. But instead... This son is invited to sit at David's table for the rest of his life. David restores the land and the riches of this son and he does not cast him out. Instead, he shows great kindness to him and takes care of him. The Lord is between them forever. We see Saul, a covenant Breaker with great promise of kingship and authority. And we say David, a covenant keeper, even though he is on the run and he is suffering greatly. Instead of seeking to keep his life, Jonathan gives up his life. And in doing so, finds life. See, devotion to God's anointed king is costly, but it is worth it. What is Jonathan willing to sacrifice everything for? He's willing to sacrifice everything for God, his people, and his kingdom. Instead of answering the question with, I will take on the throne that I've been promised, he chooses the way of God. There's a verse in Romans 15:4 that's fascinating to me. It's a verse that I think is heavily shaped the way that I teach the Bible. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So somehow this text back in 1 Samuel 20 is supposed to instruct us. Uh, Specifically, it's supposed to instruct us towards endurance in the faith, encouragement, and hope. Something about this text should do those three things for us. So how do we make sense of this story for us today? This story of two warring kingdoms, a a king of rejection of God and promise of great riches and yet a king of God's actual anointed, even if that means sacrificing everything. How do we make sense of that? Well, I think we make sense of it by arguing the fact that you and I find ourselves in the midst of a very similar battle it's a battle of two warring kingdoms. And the first is the kingdom of self. It's the kingdom that says, what am I willing to give up everything for? And when our answer to that question is, I'm willing to give up everything for my dreams and my desires and my success and my own misplaced sense of purpose or value, my other, uh, like others approving of me, if I'm willing to give up everything for things that benefit my social status or things that make me feel better about myself, the answer is we've chosen the way of Saul. We've chosen the way of I will sacrifice my covenant, I'll break my covenant in order to keep the thing that's been promised to me, myself on the throne. And Jesus shows up in Matthew 16 and and he says this to his disciples in verses 24 through 28, he says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. See, there's two warring kingdoms. There is the kingdom of self. There is the kingdom that says, whatever my desires say, I'm going after that. There's the kingdom that says, anything that seems painful or that it would cause me to sacrifice anything, that's not something I want. I'm going after the things that bring me joy and pleasure. And then there's the kingdom of the beloved son, which is a kingdom of denying yourself, taking up a cross and following the anointed king. It's the kingdom of the beloved son. You see this passage back here in 1 Samuel 20 is about a king named David. And it's about a king named Saul and it's about somebody standing in the middle of those two kings having to make a choice. But this story is pointing forward to something greater. You see David, David is God's anointed king who will bring about God's righteousness rule among the people of God, but he points forward to a greater king. He prefigures one that would come. He's pointing forward to God's chosen king who will rule righteously and establish God's kingdom forever. We know who that king is, we know that that king is Jesus, and so what I don't want to argue today is that you and I are David, because I think that that's not true. But I do think that you and I have an opportunity to be Jonathan or Saul. I do think that you and I have the ability to reject God's king, to lift up ourselves. I think we find ourselves in the middle of two warring kingdoms and there's a statement about our identity on display. Will we choose the thing that we want or will we deny ourselves and find ourselves looking to the anointed king? Devotion to God's king is costly. It is costly. As we stand in the position of Jonathan, the anointed king has called us into a covenant relationship with him and it will cost us everything. It will cost us everything, but it is so worth that cost. Notice the language in Matthew 24. It's language of denying yourself, or Matthew 16. It's language of denying yourself. Language of taking up your cross. Language of following. What kind of language is that? It's denial, death, and obedience. That certainly doesn't sound like a pleasant kingdom, does it? (laughs) Like wait, so to follow this king, I have to deny myself, similar to how Jonathan had to deny himself as the heir apparent. I have to die to myself, similar to how Jonathan sits in that room and he chooses David over his own father and what does his father do? He tries to kill him. The decision that he makes leads to death And then I have to follow this king, fucking obedience to this king. It's fascinating language that's at play here. Now, maybe you're in here today and somewhere down the line you were sold on the idea that if you become a Christian, your life's just gonna get easier and a lot better. Maybe that gospel presentation looked something like this. Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you follow him, your life is going to be so much better. So it's not a very costly invitation, is it? (laughs) Wait, he's got a plan for me and it's better? Awesome, I'll take that. Um, sign, Sign me up. It's easy to say yes to that. There's not a lot of cost when we don't think that it's going to lead to our death or our destruction. There's not a lot of cost for us when we think, if I just say yes to this, everything will be okay. But who's at the center of that presentation? Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. If you follow him, your life will be so much better. Did you notice how many times it says you and your? You're at the center of that. And if you're at the center of the gospel presentation, what does that mean? You're choosing yourself, (laughs) not denying yourself. What's the actual gospel presentation Jesus puts before us in this passage? Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Follow me. Devotion to this king is costly. But it is worth it. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Let's talk about just the beauty of allegiance to this king. But whoever lose Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we're asking the question, what am I willing to give up everything for? And our answer to that question is God, his people and his kingdom, then God comes to you in the form of Christ and he makes a covenant with you that you will find your life that on the day when he returns to repay all that we have done, he looks back upon the cross and he says the person who will pay the price for your foolish mistakes is not you but Christ. Your self-absorbed patterns of life will not be on you, they will be on Christ. He will take it on himself because he is a covenant keeper promising life in the face of death. Amen. He promises to be between you and the Lord forever. Isn't that like incredibly beautiful language when we think about what the cross is doing? <laughs> that it's Jesus standing in the way of the wrath of God which was supposed to be for you and Jesus just says, no, give it to me. I'll take it. Because he keeps his covenant. Devotion to Christ is costly, but it is so worth it. Notice the end of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, for those who have responded to Christ with denial of self, death, and obedience, the end promise is not tasting death, but they will see the Son of Man, and they will rejoice in his coming. All right, how does that fit into Easter, Austin? What are you trying to do here? How does this work? Next week's Palm Sunday. We're gonna celebrate the reality that the king has arrived, but that king is calling us into a covenant with himself that will cost us everything. It will cost you everything. Many of us will be like those at the triumphal entry as Jesus shows up. And when he arrives, we will sing glory to God because at that point in time, associating ourselves with Jesus doesn't cost much. But as that week in Jesus' life goes, there are those who will walk away from him because the cost to themselves is too high. There are those who will say, but you promised a kingdom. There will those be those that will say, but I, I thought this was just going to make my life easier. <laughs> but Jesus' invitation is deny yourself. I don't know about you, but when I want something, it's very hard for me to say no to that. And I also don't know about you. Um, but death never sounds like an enjoyable thing. And that's the invitation, the cost of relationship with this king, denial of self, death. (laughs) But the promise on the other side of that is that he will keep his covenant to you and even your death will not be your defeat. Because it was not his the end of Jesus's life, it's fascinating to me that he takes on death for his people. As people are walking away from him because the cost to themselves is too high, it's at that that moment that Jesus takes on their death and he asks himself the question, what am I willing to give up everything for? For God, for his people, for his kingdom. And then he invites us into that very same denial to die to ourselves, to follow him. So in closing this morning, what are you willing to give up everything for? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the sufficiency of your word. even amidst our own insufficiency. Lord, we come before this text this morning and we're awestruck at you and what you have done and what you're inviting us into and we recognize that we stand in the middle of these two warring kingdoms and we desire that you would help us to see that even though it feels costly to devote ourselves to you, it is worth it. God, we thank you that you have answered the question, what am I willing to sacrifice for? What am I willing to give up everything for with the answer that you're calling us into? God, we wanna be about you. We wanna be about your people. We wanna be about your kingdom. So we pray that you would help us. God, help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross to follow you. It's in your name we pray.